The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. Hi everyone, Mac and 19 here and you are listening to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live once again on Port Fan Radio. And look, joining me as usual as co-host, we got Fishing Rick. How are you, mate? Mac, I'm good, man. What about you? Good, good. Bit later than usual, but that's all right. You had a bit of a training session. Yeah, I did, yes. I mean, this is how dedicated we are. I'm, I'm driving back home. Uh, in my car with the headphones on, highly illegally, to do the podcast. Why? Why you? And I've got to get up at three thirty in the morning for a six o'clock flight to Brisbane. And uh, and you've been gargling a ton of camel sperm to get your throat ready for tonight's show. Pretty much, pretty much. I can just speak. It's all right. So this is our. Look, we've had a tweet already, mate. Mate, we've had a tweet already from. Uh, Chris Hale, who says, uh, does Rick take his guitar to training sessions a la David Brent in the office? <laughs> yeah, I should, shouldn't I? I should, uh, my singing could really motivate people, I reckon. And uh, <laughs> I was trying to, I was been trying to drum up a few more listeners at the, uh, at the uh, seminar tonight. So hopefully uh, Tim reckons he's a Crow supporter. He was going to call up the show. So let's see if uh, Tim tunes in and uh, has a listen. Wonderful. That'd be great. Yes. And for the first time on the podcast, we are speaking with Ant Bear. Hello, Rick. Hello, Macca. Auntie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've been fun. As it's your first time here, let's find out about why you're a Port supporter. Okay. Started following the Port Magpies back in the mid to late 70s. we, uh, we went through Cyclone Tracy and uh, came down here as, as refugees in Cyclone Tracy and um, Dad took me along to a board game and, uh, yeah, I just started following them and they've been a really rewarding club to follow. Um, you know, and a number of premierships they won through the, the, uh, through the 80s and uh, up into the 90s. And, you know, we moved back to Darwin, but I kept following them all the time up there and, all the kids up there had VFL teams that they followed, and they they always pressed me, and I always said that I was a port man. And all I ever did was follow their port players in the A in the in the VFL as it was then, the Greg Phillips, the uh, Mark Williams, the Craig Bradleys, and, and that's all I ever wanted to know. Um, the C is the fog. That's a good noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, Wonderful. And, and of course, when they. Uh, when they made the bid for the AFL, I was uh, I was absolutely gutted when when the Crows came in. I thought I might be a Crow supporter, but Graham Corns come on board and he just treated Scott Hodges and Darren Smith and David Brown, all the Port boys that came there. He treated them as second class citizens, and I could never follow the Crows after that. That's um, it. That's it. Well, look, who's yeah. your favourite player? Favourite player? What uh, are we talking currently or all time? All, all time would have to be Russell Ebert. I mean, he just did things on a football field that even players today with all their professionalism can't do. The Running at full pace after a ball and dropping a hand on it and doing a, a full stop and turning around, picking it up with the one hand and just taking off. The um, Running into a tackle and lifting the hands up and taking the tackler out and handballing to the free man over the top. He was just the ultimate footballer. 
My favourite player today, got to be Robbie Gray. He does much the same things. Uh, Robbie doesn't have the same body superiority that Russell has, but he's got all of them. So I just love this play. That's it. Beautiful. Well, look, let's get into our love and hate, which is one thing we loved, one thing we hated about Port Adelaide this week. Uh, Rick, mate, I might start with you with your love. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, I don't know what there is to love, Macca. There's, uh, I'm clutching at straws, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with um, my mate and the big footy mate, I, I reckon, of, or Port Fan Radio mate, Brendan Archie. I... Uh, I thought he was very hard done by getting the sub vest again, um, but I thought he uh, he was the best of a good bunch uh, with his half a game performance. And it, I guess it was disappointing he didn't he didn't get to show his uh, wares for a whole game. But I, I actually think it's a big call. But I think that was Brendan's breakout game for for this for his short career. Yeah. Have a breakout game or is it a breakout quarter? I think, to me, it's a breakout game for Brendan because, um, you know, he's, he's struggled at times in the SA NFL and he's been building form this year. And, and I guess his first three games as subs, uh, as a sub, you know, he showed little glimpses, but you, know, you could still argue it wasn't convincing. But I thought, uh, I think, what, he had 10 or maybe just over 10 disposals uh, in just under a half a footy. Um, but I thought what he did with the ball was quality, and you know the only uh, the only thing you could criticise him for was uh, obviously missing that set shot on goal. And you know I don't even blame you know, I don't blame him for us losing the game for missing that goal either. But um, you know I, I just think what he did with the ball, his impact in the game, uh, you know that was standout. And I think after that performance, he deserves a good run as a starting 18 player for uh, for the rest of the year. I've got to say, he's got to have a full game. I, I want to see him run out a full game, and that's what we what we judge players on is how they go throughout the game. Um, and and yet he does show promise, and he's probably shown more promise than any of the other players who've come in for three or four weeks at a time and and sort of dropped out all the um, Mitchells and Sam Grays and Paul Stewarts and that. Um, Archie has probably shown more than any of them, but he's got to play a full game. Yeah, I think you talk you talk about the great player Russell Ebert, um, you know, and his hands and what he can do. Now, I'm not comparing uh, Brendan to uh, the Russell; that's unfair in him. But I think uh, the vision that he's got in a pack uh, situation and what he can do with his handballs, um, you know, he could become. Uh, a fantastic extractor with the handball and a powerful weapon for us. And I thought all his handballs hit the target uh, on the weekend. And you can just see his confidence really starting to grow. And, he, and he's a great guy as well. So that just makes it an added bonus that uh, he can do really well. That's it. And Bear, what was your love for the weekend? With my love, um, I've been trying to think of one too. And you, you've probably got to go with a player, just a, an individual player. And I've just been watching Kenny on the couch and, you know, he doesn't individualise anyone, but I think Nathan Cracker um, really showed what he can add to our group and he's bound to be elevated at the end of this year and he's bound to get fitter and he's bound to become a really important player when we are challenging for finals and for premierships. I think there, um, I think there is elements of his game, though, 
that he can still improve on, which is uh, um, is sort of constructive criticism. I, I think, yeah, it's an indictment really in our, the rest of our players that he's almost the best um, disposer of the football with skills uh, in our in our side. Uh, but I think he needs to work on his defensive positioning. Um, I said that uh, on the on the boards uh, today. Um, there was quite, especially in the second half, he uh, he really was too too high up in between um, the goals and the and the forwards and the kicker. So he, he left himself in no man's land. But um, uh, yeah, look, once he can improve that, and that might be a fitness related thing or whatever. I'm not questioning his courage at all. It's just he needs to work on the positioning. But um, yeah, he he is a weapon, and uh, and he even did well for us up forward as well. So. He's, a, he's an exciting prospect for us over the next couple of years. So, what did you love, Macca? Look, I was going to love Cracker, but I'll change it to Chatty Wingard because, you know, five goals. He didn't have a lot of the ball, but, God, he's absolutely lethal when he gets it at the moment. Just whenever he gets it, something good happens. Either he's kicking goals or dishing off others, and he kicked some wonderful goals and did everything he could to get us over the line on the weekend, but just didn't happen. He didn't play a lot of midfield on the weekend, did he? He... Um... I think he only had the one clearance, and he didn't spend a lot of time in the midfield. Yeah, certainly in, uh, in previous weeks, he's probably spent more time in the midfield than he has uh, up forward. But, um, yeah, this game was a bit different, and I actually think um, it probably cost us a little bit because we were getting done in the midfield once again, and, you know, we really could have done with his um, clearance-winning ability in there. So, Rick, what was your hate, mate? Plenty to hate. Is it there? I, um, <laughs> I think we'll probably I, uh, all the I uh, I really hate our away four, Macca. And, uh, I mean, what is it? We've won five games in Melbourne in five years or something. Is that right? Is that what the stats have uh, been thrown around? But uh, we're a better team Probably. than that. And, and we, should, uh, we should be performing uh, a lot better away from home, especially in Victoria, than what we are. And uh, I'm hoping that through this uh, turbulent period, um, the boys can find resolution and, and solace in, in their performance and fortitude to, to prosper like they did after the 2012 season. And I'm hoping we're just having a mini slump, which will bring them together and go, right, what the hell's going on here? Because uh, for you guys, you, you travelled there on Saturday, Macca. Uh, and all the other supporters that travelled there, and I'm sure the players feel this already anyway, but, um, uh, you know, you guys deserve better uh, than what was served up, ignoring the umpiring. And on a side note, I I won't talk for too much longer, but uh, um, the other thing that I want to say as well, just quickly as another hate, um, supporters don't need to abuse, but at the same time, time supporters are allowed to be critical of poor performances and not be accused of being bandwagoners or not supporters of the footy club just because we want to be critical of a poor performance doesn't mean that we're not a true supporter Um, if we want to live in a slap in the back if you lose all the time mentality and become a Melbourne and a St Kilda well then then I think the supporters that feel like that, they're the ones that aren't really true Port Adelaide supporters. Um, we don't need to be abusers of our players, but at the same time, we should be able to say, hey, guys, that performance isn't good enough, and that our players be willing to uh, accept that. And I reckon Tim Ginova would be a firm believer of that. Spot on. Well said. Rant's over. Sorry. Love it. Good rant. That's a good rant. I like that rant, Rick. Um, Aunt Ben, what was your hate for this week? Ah. Uh, 
Well, I think it's going to be much the same as, you know, 90% of, uh, of the listeners. And, you know, I ran into Hazard before the Geelong game last week in the, uh, in the game day village. And I said to him, look, I don't carry on about umpires much. I think there's very few games where umpires material um, sold. And then a week later, I put it wrong. <laughs> Well, it did influence the result because, I mean, you can look at a, a couple of key uh, moments. You've got the, the dubious one with Westhoff where he kicked the goal. There's a goal turnaround. You've got the David Armfield recalled play on. There's another goal turnaround. You've got the Lockie Henderson mark resulting in a goal um, where the umpires not in the general vicinity uh, paid the mark. There's three goals. You've got the possibility of Sammy Cahoon um, you know, actually uh, having a shot on goal to win the game. So, you know, there's three goals there in decisions plus the uh, plus one poor decision, which resulted on another attempt. And then there was a couple of other um, debacle decisions as well. So, uh, look, I'm a firm believer. I know what you're saying, Macca. We were poor enough, and if we were good enough, we probably, the umpiring wouldn't have mattered to that extent. But, I think you saw Travis Boak's reaction to that trip, which ended up being holding the ball. I think he, as a player, sort of succumbed to the frustration as well and uh, and was sort of saying to the umpire, hey, come on here, I got tripped, and the umpire pays holding the ball. Um, so I think the players were actually getting uh, the bear, bear, or they were starting to suffer from the frustrations of the poor umpiring as well. And, and look, it's not good enough. In a professional sport... Yeah. In the end, it's a four-point result. Any of those decisions go our way, and it's a goal the other way. And, I mean, it's really hard to say what happens at the end of a game and how it changes the way that people play, but a four-point result, three of those decisions are made correctly. And it's not all on umpires. Our players made some really bad decisions across the goals as well. And I think I put 22 moments across this any chance, and it wasn't all on umpires. It was a lot on... Um, errors that our players made and bad decisions and yeah, it wasn't just umpires, but yeah. that was that was a big part of it. <clears throat> no, look, I agree. I thought the umpiring was absolute toss on the weekend. It was it was horrendous, and certainly in the last quarter, certainly when the game finished at the ground, me and everyone else around us thought we were absolutely screwed over. But you know that was that soonly sort of changed into dismay at how we actually performed against the, the team that's sitting bottom of the ladder with one win next to their name. I mean, that's uh, where we lost it for me was uh, them kicking four goals in six minutes in the second quarter and then following that up with, you know, I think it was something like six out of the next eight goals in the third quarter as well. So, I mean, that's where we lost the game. But I think something that I said on the forum was I think the umpires cost us the chance of winning the game, but it's not the reason why we lost it. No. Well, what's your hate, Macca? My hate this week is the Port Adelaide Footy Club, just as a yeah. whole. And, and what a shell of a side that we've actually become this year. And, you know, all this talk of being humble and respecting the opposition and, you know, there's no easy games anymore and every club has lifted their standards and all this stuff. It's all wonderful, but it's just poor excuse-making and, and isn't really giving our supporters anything at all. You know, for me, I think, you know, screw being humble, screw being respectful. There's one thing in common that every successful side, every premiership side has, and that's arrogance, it's swagger, 
They are equal parts loved by their fans and absolutely hated by the opposition. And, you know, all this talk of being humble and, and all, all that's done has turned us meek. I think we're soft on the field and, and beginning to get soft off it as well. And, you know, for too long, we've had these performances where we lose to bottom dwellers. You know, we need a bit of a paradigm shift in this footy club as these results should not be accepted anymore. And I'm not suggesting we sack the coach or anything like that, but... Yeah, we need to discover why we lose these games against bottom sides on such a consistent basis. And and it's gone through three coaches, it's gone through two generations of players in the last 10 years. Is it motivation? Is it expectation? Is it lack of leadership? Is it coaching? We don't know. You know, we're not St Kilda, we're not Melbourne, we're f***ing Port Adelaide and results like this shouldn't be tolerated. Yes, uh... When does you know, I, I, I want to know why all these bottom teams put up their best performance of the season against us? Brisbane did it, Carlton did it. Um, they they see us as an opportunity, and yeah, we shouldn't absolutely. That should be hearing. No, but I, I disagree because history with shows that. that we roll over. Yeah, but I disagree with that. It's not why do they put up their best performances against us? The question you should be asking is why do we allow them? to play their best performance against us. We, we should be a ruthless side um, with an intimidatory factor about us, not allowing these weaker sides at this point in time uh, to get on a roll and dominate us. But as Macca pointed out, we allow this to happen. And I guess the million dollar question is, when does humble actually become subservient? I feel like we're um, subservient to the AFL and the Victorian clubs at the moment. In our attempt to become everyone's second team, uh, we're becoming piss weak. And, um, you know, I want to see some mongrel. And we've got players there that can be have a bit of mongrel in them. Jackson's a very physical player. If we wanted him to have a bit of mongrel and gave him that licence, I'm sure he can. I'm not saying dirty. Um, don't, get, don't get that distinction uh, confused. Ollie Wines is another one. You know, he's a ball player, but he can exert a lot of physical presence if we want him to. Um, Jay Shields could be another one. You know, there's we we and everyone's talking about the uh, the tackle where Bryce has got uh, a possible two game suspension if he wants to take it. Um, but our retaliation to that was meek. You know, and to me, meek is weak, and that's what we are on the football field and. I don't know if any of the players ever listened to this or whatever, and you know, in a way, I hope I hope it I hope they do because, and I'm sure I'm not the only supporter that at this point in time is thinking that, you know, our club is a little bit meek, and I don't think it's unfair to say that. Yep, that's uh, that's pretty fair. I think that's pretty fair. Look, if it was a one-off, you'd write it off as a bad day, but it's more than just a, a mere coincidence that. You know, we lose to Gold Coast in their first win. We lose to GWS in their second win, or their, their first real win against, you know, a, a proper team. You know, we lose to Richmond when they didn't have a win in our anniversary game. We often used to lose to Melbourne when they were, you know, wooden spooners. It just happens every year. And even if we do actually get up and win, we still barely look like it. I mean, think back to the Melbourne game at Adelaide Oval last year where we won with 30 seconds left. You think back to the St Kilda game the year before that as well. It just happens far too often. And I've, I think it's ingrained in the walls at Alberton now that I'm just not sure what it is and why it is. And I think someone at the club needs to spend a lot of money and a lot of time and effort on and figuring out why it is that this happens. 
Yeah. Well, I want, sorry, Amber, I just want to say, yeah, you've pointed out your hate, Amber, which is like 95% of the supporters, which is the umpiring. What is wrong with the coach, or not necessarily the coach, David Kosh, who was on the radio today, what is wrong with him coming out as a, a Collingwood football club would, as an example, and going, look, we're not happy with that umpiring at all. We know our supporters aren't happy. And look, it probably didn't result the it didn't create the result that we wanted for the game, and we're not blaming the umpires, but we're very disappointed with the outcome that the umpires provided in some certain situations, and we're going to be going to the AFL asking for some answers for this and standing up and representing our club and our supporter base, who are quite frustrated, and uh, so our supporters know that you know they're serious and they're actually going to do something instead of going. Instead of coming out and going, oh, yeah, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, no, nah, it's got nothing to do with the umpires. Our performance wasn't satisfactory. You're right, David, it wasn't. But the umpires were bloody piss poor. And us supporter base, we feel jaded a little bit and we feel hard done by. It's, so, it's not the first time this season. And we think as a club, you guys should be standing up and taking it to the AFL and going, hey, what is going on here? Well, I, I think the club does that. And I think they do it behind the scenes fairly regularly, but there is a time when it has to be public. There has to be a public statement made about it. And I, I wish it had been done this week. It's too late now, but it should have been done. That's right. We, we've had quite a lot of uh, Twitter responses to what we're talking about at the moment. And Catherine McDonald agrees, you know, three obscure AFL technicalities in the same game. It begins to look like they were looking for ways to help Carlton. Porsche also agrees with Rick. Uh, we run our club. It's our responsibility to see that it's working, not just sit back, smile, and be a customer. Uh, Ryan Pillar says, why are we a team that never flies the flag? When Robbie was dropped, there was nothing. And Porsche also said, uh, physicality will only come from how we direct our players to play, not from tough guy West Adelaide-style acts of bullshit. <laughs> Good to hear from Porsche. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> it's... Um... Look, I think it's it's a fine line, isn't it? Especially with a young playing group, giving them instructions to have a license to go out and be brutal because they probably lack the maturity uh, to potentially time the right moment and how they go about it. You know, you got Hawthorne, who's a very skilled side and and mature about it now. So we have to be we have to be careful how how we instruct these boys. To, to do it but at the same time uh something needs to uh needs to happen and uh and we need to get a bit of mungle back and you know what i'm willing to wear a couple of players getting suspended for a game or two if they're going to be standing up for their teammates and flying the flag and not allowing them to be pushed over and like carlton were much more physical especially in the first half than what we were and we just allowed that to happen oh, even the response to the gray thing i mean there was a little bit of push and shove but nothing sort of serious and then two minutes later, Tom Bell absolutely flattens Travis Boak. And once again, nothing happened. I mean, you could just sense that they had the dominance on the park right there and then. And there was another sling tackle, which didn't have the same result, you know, between the grey tackle and the half time, which wasn't, a, you know, wasn't, wasn't very long. There was another sling tackle there. It might have been on Hufflet maybe. Um, but again, we, we didn't stand up for our teammate and... It may cost us a 50-metre penalty. It may cost us a goal, but it, it gives us respect. And we didn't 
get that respect. Well, look, let's get on to the review and talk about round 12. It, uh, you know, I guess it came and went in pretty disastrous fashion for Port Adelaide. We lost against the bottom place there, Carlton, 16 goals, 10 to 17 goals, 8. Four-point win to the Blues. Uh, Wingard was the star once again with five goals, whilst uh, our captain, Travis Boak, Justin Westhoff, and Robbie Gray kicked two goals each. Um, I guess the question is, where do we begin with this one? Should we talk about the first quarter? Because we were looking reasonable enough in the first quarter. Yeah, got off to a good start. Um, first couple of goals, uh, I think it was Westhoff and Wingard. Um, you know, nice passes from Cracker out of the middle. And then just gave away some silly frees, and and that's where it started. I think uh, Jonas gave a, a bad high free kick away. They got three goals. We got a couple back. They got one just before the siren from a uh, uh, from a bad decision, I think, by Broadbent. Didn't look switched on at all from the start, realistically, I thought. Uh, I don't know about that. On TV, I thought... You know, because Macca messaged me at quarter time and said, wouldn't be surprised we're five goals down at half time. And I guess I was watching it on TV. I mean, Macca was there live. Uh, I didn't see that. I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty close. I thought the intensity was up, but our skills were deplorable and our decision making was shocking. Uh, as you pointed out, the, the broadbent cross and um, and we've been talking about it on the boards and uh, and I just and I've been asking the question: Where is the 2013 and 2014 Tom Jonas gone? Yeah, what what has happened to Tom Jonas? Because in that first quarter, he was deplorable, and yeah. uh, I mean he wasn't alone. I mean Eva had a bit of a shocker as well. But you know, from the high standards of where Tom Jonas was, and everyone was singing his praises to, um, he's just a shadow of himself. And I was joking around on the forum saying that if. Yeah, if he was one of my sheep on the property, I probably would have put him down by now because the RSPCA would have me for cruelty for animals. Otherwise, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, it's just sad. And I, I don't understand what's going on there. But, yeah, there, I guess there was warning signs again with our decision-making and our and what we were doing, especially when the heat was on. That's what was noticeable at the ground was um, our setups were, were pretty poor. Our defensive setups were, were really poor. Yeah, we, we were just giving our players, to, um, sorry, our opponents too much space in the defensive 50. And that's when Carlton started to get back in the game. And as you said, I mean, there was just so many poor mistakes in that first quarter. You could tell that they weren't entirely switched on. Um, you know, Jonas giving away a silly free. Ebert's dropped Mark. Jonas turning it over. Brody turning it over. Jonas holding the ball. I mean, it, it just went on and on. Yeah, yeah. Um... I thought we were in trouble from there, but I, I mean, I always have confidence that we'll click. We just never clicked on the, on the weekend. And you can forgive um, players for having one bad game. Everyone's going to have a bad game here and there. But Jonas has put several bad games together, and he's got to be worried about his spot. I asked one of my questions a couple of weeks ago was, who gets dropped when Trengove comes back? Would it be Jonas? Would it be Cleary? I, I thought it would be Jonas. I thought Cleary was okay. He deserved another chance. He's faster. He's got better ball use than Tom Jonas. Probably can't play in the smalls. That's the only thing. But we've got, you know, Paddy Riley coming back now, and someone's got to make way for him. And Tommy has got to be nervous about his spot. I think. I think it's almost a detriment to keep him in the side for his own sort of uh, yeah, his own is. mentality at the moment as well. I mean, his confidence is just 
as low as I've ever seen it in a footballer at the moment. And, yeah. you know, just let him go back to the, to the you know, the second tier and just have a couple of games where he gets some of the ball and maybe does, you know, lay a couple of big bumps and, you know, does some decent things and then he can come back. Because we all know how, how fantastic Tommy Jonas is at his best. And, you know, that's probably the sad thing is that, you know, the last couple of years he's been just about our most consistent player, certainly in the defensive 50. And, you know, for him to be playing like this, it's, um, you know, I guess it's a little bit sad. And, you know, I just think he needs to to go back down to the SNFL, have a few games here, and he'll be back, uh, you know, pretty quick after that, I think. Yeah, I I don't know if you guys saw um, Ken Hinckley on the couch tonight, Um, but he was asked basically that question by Jared Healy. He was asked, are there some players who you've considered dropping? And Ken basically said, yes, there are players that I've considered dropping. And he didn't name any names. He didn't individualise anybody. But he said, in the end, you know what the players are capable of and you back them to replicate that. But it comes a point where you can't tolerate it anymore. And I immediately thought that he was talking about Tom Jonas. Yeah. Well, it's not only Tom Jonas. There's other players no. too. No, Tom uh, Jonas is the most consistent inconsistent player yeah. if you like. But it comes back to last week where we were taught everyone was crying about Sam Gray, uh, bringing in Andrew Moore um, and whoever else was uh, omitted from the side. I can't even remember now. Week's a long time in football. But, um, you know, it the fish rots from the head and it's not right at the head. It's not right at the top. And while the people like Tom Jonas or or Matthew Loby that aren't really performing, and I don't know if it's an injury or if it's emotional or if it's just form, whatever. But, you know, if Ken keeps just rewarding them, well, what it does is they, they're not getting any better um, for playing in the side when they're underperforming. And, and the players in the second tier um, start to become disenchanted because they keep racking up performances and, and not getting those opportunities, even though this week we had five changes. But, you know, this has been going on for quite some time. Um, you know, so it just creates a bit of a Pandora's box for, for Ken in a way. And, you know, there's a few players that are lucky. But if you go back to structure, Macca, um, you know, if, I think when, we kicked to, when they kicked to the left of screen, I think it was the first quarter, Casbolt kicked a goal. If you have a look, if anyone that is passionate enough and watches the replay and you look at the, the replay of that goal kicked, we had three players um, basically in the pocket, guarding space in the pocket, and we left the centre of the goals open 20 metres out. And then they kicked the spot, the ball to that spot, and Casbol marks it basically uninterrupted, and our three players just sort of protected the pocket zone. Now, I'm no rocket scientist with modern football, but I know that we... You protect protect the centre, block the centre, and make them lead to the pocket where at least it's a harder kick for goal. I mean, that's bread and butter coaching. Now, you know, Matthew Nix is supposed to be a senior coach in waiting and uh, and people are supposed to be all after him. I don't know if they are now, but, you know, either the players aren't listening to Nix, which I imagine must be the case because I can't believe that the coaches would be instructing players to zone and protect the pocket. You know, I, I think we're running a, a, a shallow zone. A, a, our zone is too shallow. And, Macca, you were there, and you probably can comment on it better because you don't see zones very well on the telly. But I think we guard the space 30 to 40 metres away from the mark, and they're kicking it over our zone into the hole behind our zone. We 
it's far easier to run forward and protect the space in front of you in a zone than it is to run back. And I think we've been struggling with that a bit this year. I, I think our zones are off. Yep. No, that's a fair comment. I think uh, what was noticeable on the weekend was that we were just zoning off too much. Like when we had the ball um, in our forward line, our defenders were zoning off, you know, 20 or 30 metres from their opposition. And look, our foot skills have been pretty terrible so far this year. And we had a number of turnovers once again. Uh, this week and you know the ball was just coming back in too quick for our defenders to uh, to make up that amount of ground and it probably happened on eight or nine occasions where you thought you know if you were just standing a bit closer then this wouldn't happen and uh, but it did happen and I, I certainly don't think it's a coaching issue I think it's more you know players just not doing what the coaches are asking them to do there was a number of times in the midfield and, and you look at our midfield setups and we had three or four players on the one side of the contest and there was two or three Carlton players on the other side who were unmanned and the ball went to them every single time for a, a very clean uh, breakaway clearance. And, you know, that's just not good enough. And that's not coaching. That's just uh, players not standing where they're told to be, uh, you know, where they're meant to be standing, I guess. Leadership. Um, and, you know, a couple of the players you touched on before, Loby and Jonas, they're in our leadership group. And I, I think our leadership group, generally are down on form. Ebert's another one, of course. And they're worrying about their own game a lot and they're not instructing the younger players, the um, the junior teammates to get in the right positions. They're more worried about their own games. And, I mean, even Boki has been inconsistent. He's been he's had a worse year, of course, than last year. Um, yeah, our, our leaders are in poor form. And, and as you say, the fish does rot from the head. Yeah, what changed in that second quarter? Because we ended up, uh, you know, four or five goals down and uh, then we sort of flicked a bit of a switch and suddenly we were back in the game thanks to some great work by Robbie Gray. Mainly by Robbie Gray. Uh, Really, he was best on ground in the first half and, uh, you know, let them get a couple of goals. We get a couple of goals back. It was a bit like that all day, realistically. The, the goals came in patches for both teams. Um, but we could just never get our heads in front, our noses in front. And we just kept blowing it by making horrible mistakes, realistically. And weren't helped. <laughs> weren't helped by playing against 21. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, look, how did you feel when Robbie Gray went down in terms of how you thought the game would pan out from there? Oh, I was worried. Uh, you know, he's, he was clearly best on ground and um, he's our best player, let's be honest. You, any team loses their best player, they're going to be materially worse off. And, and He was having a ripper game. I mean, eight clearances in a half and a couple of goals. I mean, he was doing everything. Yeah, um, yeah you're right. He had, uh, I think, 15 possessions in the first half, a couple of goals, stacked the clearances, um, and just magic. The goal he did kick in the second quarter, got it in a pack. Dummy sent everyone the wrong way and just strolled into an open goal and converted, of course, as you'd expect Robbie to do. Um, for, um, you know, after the game, Ken said that he wasn't actually concussed or he failed, he passed the concussion test and he was cleared to go back on and they decided not to put him back on. That's a little bit arrogant. Look, if a player's cleared, and I understand about 
player health and all of that. And we've got a week off this week, honestly. Jeez, stick him in a forward pocket. <laughs> stick him a full well, forward. And... I mean, you know, you've got the 20-minute concussion rule, which could have gone for the first 20 minutes of the third quarter. Um, so we got that. We can have Arch on for that time. And then, as you say, stick him in a forward pocket for uh, for the last quarter. Could have made all the difference. <clears throat> I guess they maybe were thinking about rotations and, and that sort of thing, and maybe that's what sort of pushed them towards subbing him off. Oh, well, they were quoting player health and... I mean, only I'm no medical expert, but only the doctors really can can make that call. But it sounded like the coaching staff made the call from the comments after the game. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, at least we know. Um, oh, I guess he's not going to play this week, is he? Um, so he's no. definitely going to play again. <laughs> That's it. Well, look, we were 23 points down at three quarter time. How were you feeling going into that last quarter? Um. I was strangely confident because all day we, we'd shown that we could flick the switch and when we got it going, we could score in patches. And I think part of the scoring in patches is when there is a goal, we set up properly in the forward half. Um, we we were better this week at setting up in the forward half and keeping targets up forward for the whole game than we were against Geelong or... Um, I can't think of the other games. West Coast probably was another game, and Sydney was definitely a game where we just played with no forward for a large percentage of the game. Yeah, so so I was confident going into the into the last term. Um, yeah. the, the, the first goal in the last term, I think it was Menzel after a you know poor missed tackle by Ebert, um, put them twenty nine points up. It was going to make it hard, but we did score that burst. We scored that burst of four goals in a row. And then, you know, they got that goal back from Henderson from the mark that wasn't, which was about yeah. the second one. I think Menzel got one earlier in the, in the day, which he dropped as well. He got paid that. But Mark Murphy can stand there and umpire the game as much as he wants, but it was a top one. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, but, but, you know, they got that and then we got one back. Um, and then we had a few chances. You know, Jay should have nailed his. Um, I think Mitchell had a set shot. Never really awfully confident on that, but he's kicked set shots before, you know. Um, and really, you know, Colhoun, fair enough, it was touch, and they showed some vision. Um, I think it was on 360 tonight with the umpires mic'd up and, and the umpire in the middle of the ground was calling touch, touch, touch. And fair enough, when the whistle blows, you've got to bounce it. But realistically, he should have been able to hear that it was touch and he should never have blown his whistle. Yeah. It was it was poor umpiring, and look, I think it was that guy's second game, and he made a few errors. I think so. Yeah. Who knows? He might be uh, he might be umpiring in Port Pirie this week. Well, <laughs> there'd be a few people who travel a long way to see him right now. I think. <laughs> That's yeah, look, certainly at the ground, I think uh, the feeling amongst the, the the fans there was a little bit despondent. I guess you thought uh, going into the last quarter, you know, when you're four goals down and. We just didn't look like it, but we knew that we had the ability to uh, to still come back if we could. And I think everyone sort of wrote, wrote the game off when Menzel kicked a goal. And, you know, thankfully we did come back. And I guess this leads me to my other sort of frustrating point is that is our ability in tight games. And I've mentioned this a few, a few times on the podcast before, but our ability to get up in, in close games is uh, is pretty dismal over the last few years. And I think if we're, if we're defending a lead, then we're 
really good at defending the lead, but if if we're chasing the win, we seem to always kick a few goals in a row, you know, two, three, four goals in sort of three or four minutes and get right back in the game. We've got enough time left to win the game, but then we just stop. It's almost like that final goal to hit the front is just this massive barrier and, and we just can't break it down and we end up making, you know, mistake after mistake and, you know, guys getting caught holding the ball and kicking it to the wrong spot and, you know, Mitchell shanking kicks inside 50 and Schultze hitting the post from 20 metres out in front and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And Burn, you, you develop it and we haven't quite developed it yet. And we're not young as such anymore. We're not old, but we're not as... Um... We're not as experienced as some of those teams that have that composure, the Hawthorns and Sydneys. That's it. Yeah, I'm here. Yep. Okay. I had to dump Rick because he sounded like crap. Oh, that's very nice. Oh, here he is. Here he is. He's back. That sounds much better. That's all right. (laughs) I was going through the reception vortex of the Adelaide Hills. That's all right. so what did you get to, boys, without me? Oh, we finished. Oh, we're pretty much done now. That's it. So uh, yeah, thanks very much. And uh... Yeah, awesome. Good show. <laughs> Great work. So well, I guess you... the question that I've got for you, Rick, is how were you feeling at three-quarter time? Did you think we were able to come back or did you think the game was lost? No, the game, I thought the game was lost. Um, I, uh, I wasn't very optimistic at halftime. And, uh, yeah, I just thought, it was going to be one of those games where we just won't make up the ground. And I wasn't actually expecting the last quarter performance that we actually put in. And really, in the end, if you just isolate the last quarter, uh, we probably should have won if you uh, took into account the woeful umpiring. So I think that's a positive. And uh, I think you pointed out that our last quarters over the last month have been pretty good, Macca. They've been, they've been a lot better, so it sort of puts... Uh... Puts to death the theory that uh, we're not fit enough. I think uh, it definitely shows that we're fit enough and, you know, maybe it's all mental. Yeah, look, I, I think so. I think uh, I was talking to a footy supporter about it tonight and part of me wonders, you know, maybe they did train heavy earlier for a, a, an extended run and I just wonder if we got to three and two at the season and we got through the hard patch, which everyone was talking about and, and everyone and the players maybe were and the coaches were a bit like the supporters and and we just everyone thought that it was just going to happen and we dropped a couple of games that we shouldn't have maybe through a little bit of complacency and that's now generated a bit of doubt um, in the coaching box and also in the playing group which has fed through and created some disastrous results but part of that was I just didn't think we were going to have the confidence to get get the result at the end so uh, in a way I don't I'm not happy with the loss but I'm happy that we actually uh, ran out the game and uh, we were able to put some pressure on the scoreboard yeah that's good I I said before Rick I thought that uh, our structure and our um, the way we kept players in the forward line was better than it has been for some time we always seemed to have a target to kick to even if we didn't actually kick to them very well, but we always had someone up there, and that hasn't always been the case this year. And I, you know, we got to give credit. Yeah. To we got to give credit to Carlton. Honestly, they did play as well as they have played all year, better than they played all year. Let's be honest. Um, and they probably shocked us. We we looked like we were unprepared for it. 
They were more hungry. They were more physical, and they took the game they on. Were. Yeah. And they deserved it. I've got a question for you guys, and ironically for the Twitter sphere out there as well. Um, something I didn't like was Jay Shill's wife coming out on Twitter, sticking up for her husband. Now, I don't know why she was in hospital, and I don't really care. That's her private business. Um, but I don't think, uh, as a player, their, their spouse or relative should be coming out and, and trying to play a bit of an emotional game on, on social media. And I also don't think Jay should be getting onto social media um, you know, apologising for his own personal performance and, and promising to make it up. Um, you know, I mean, what does this open it up to? Uh, a player is going to be coming on social media soon going, oh, I'm sorry I had a bad game, but I actually came into the game with a sprayed ankle or, or whatever. I mean, should this stuff be continue to be kept behind closed doors or are you guys happy for this stuff to be aired out in public? No, I don't think it should. And... Uh... You know, Jay's a senior player. He's not like he's a young kid. I'm surprised he even has Twitter. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I get all my Twitter news from the boards. Um, Look, look, Schultz's wife was just defending her husband, and, you know, that's probably fair enough. He's he's copped a lot so far this year, and, look, that's fair enough, but I don't think she really needed to do that, and I don't really think that he needed to come out and personally apologise for his performance either. I mean, you know, there was was probably 16 or 17 guys that could have done that um, on Twitter, and, you know, maybe it did play on his mind that his wife was in hospital. It's it's quite possible, but the the issues with his game that I had on the weekend are issues that have been there all year. It's not just like it was a one-off. You know, his, uh, his lack of leading, his sort of one-handed attempts at marking and all that sort of stuff, they've been there for a while. His lack of body strength, I think, is is becoming obvious. Um, he marked under the ball far too many times by row. Um, and yeah. a couple of times where pushes in the back, not paid, of course. Um, but a couple of times he just went forward far too easily, and whether that's looking for a free kick or not having the strength to hold his ground in a marking contest where he should hold his ground in a marking contest, or just being disappointed that the ball wasn't fed out, lace out in front of him where he could dive forward and mark. Jay's game has worried me this year. He spends a lot of time leading to the ball, and if he doesn't get it, all he wants to do is get it out of bounds. He doesn't want to take the ball, try and bring teammates into the game. Um, and, yeah, another one of our leaders who's out of form. That's it. He's only kicked five goals in uh, seven losses so far this year, so less than a goal a game, and, you know, wins, he he certainly delivers, but, uh, you know, we need him to stand up and kick a few goals to get us back in these sort of contests, but he's almost got a a bit of the butchers about him at the moment where his leading is is pretty off, and I'm not sure if if he's over-leading or if uh, his teammates are sort of kicking it a bit too hard and a bit too high for him, but... There was a no, there's a number of times where he sort of leads and then has to double back and you know just gets easily pushed under the ball and you know he, he's got to understand he's not uh, he's not on the end of any sort of Jared Pollock like bullet passes at the moment so I think maybe he needs to sort of change the way that he's sort of leading towards the ball at this point in time. Yeah, and, and this is another issue. Our kicking is not. Um, precise. It's 
It's high. It's horrendous. It's, it's the, only, the only person who kicks it flat and low is Hamish, and that's only when an umpire's in the way. <laughs> we, we ran at 33% kicking efficiency in the second quarter. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, was, it's not good enough. That's what they were, if you're only hitting a tiger one out of three kicks, I mean, you can't win games of footy when you're doing that. And this is an AFL team, not an SANFL side. Um, yeah, and there's some quality players there. It, it isn't good enough. And I know the whipping boy, Kane Mitchell, came in for more whipping. Um, he only tracked for the game at 50%. And I don't know if you guys have mentioned him already, but I know he's quite controversial and I can see why people are frustrated. And I guess the one thing that I noticed on TV with Kane's game uh, outside of that final kick into the uh, into the forward lines at the end of the game was the um, he doesn't like the physical contest and uh, he I, I saw two key moments where he really squibbed out of a, a contest and you can't really do that in AFL football and I think that is probably why I don't think Kane should be making it as an AFL player over anything else. I, uh, he, it happened last year with Josh Kennedy in Sydney, which resulted in a goal as well. I, uh, I just don't think he likes the physicality of, um, of that aspect of the game, and you can't afford to carry players like that, in my opinion. No, he's a 22nd yeah. player at the moment, and... Uh... And it's been fluctuating between him and Sam Gray and Jake Need and Paul Stewart and all these players. And honestly, I'm not sure that Kane gives us anything that Jake Need, for example, wouldn't. And Jake Need's got a higher ceiling. No, no, I actually didn't mind Kane Mitchell's first three quarters, but uh, he sort of un- undid all his sort of decent work that he did in those three quarters in the last and I thought he did a pretty good defensive job on Sam Doherty and but uh, I don't know players with his sort of kicking just tend not to make it at AFL level and I think it's it's an issue that's uh, going to kill his career I think and especially yeah. the fact that and it seems to be an issue with all our sort of uh, sort of nearly good enough but not quite sort of players that come in you know Kane Mitchell, Sam Gray, Paul Stewart these sorts of guys, Andrew Moore's another one Aaron Young they all seem to panic kick quite a lot. They, they sort of don't understand that they've got a bit more time than what they've actually got to get rid of it. And I'm not sure if it's because of the fact that they're coming up from the SANFL where they've got so much time and they think it's going to be completely different in the AFL environment. But I know the, the amount of times that Kane Mitchell sort of panic kicks just throws it on the boot to no one at all. I mean, it's, uh, it's alarming. Well, these, these are the players who should be the outside players. Um, we've got Boak and Wines and Gray who are going to go in and win the ball. We don't need another player who's going to go in and win the ball. He's only competing against Boak, Gray and Wines. He needs to be on the outside, getting the ball from the inside player and running away with it and using it properly. And Kane Mitchell wants to go in and win the hard ball. Same with Andrew Moore. Neither of them are going to run away with it or use it properly. Yeah. How did we, we see the uh, the much-celebrated return of Andrew Moore this week? Well, you know, I think he had a defensive job. Um, I reckon he was playing on, um, <clears throat> what's that, Skipper Murphy, on Murphy, yeah. um, a large percentage of it. And, I mean, you've got to say, you know, Murphy's been one of the best players on the ground, so he's probably been beaten. Um, but he had a defensive pro, um, um, job 
given to him. And I think that's got to be his role going forward. He's got to be the replacement for Kane. Um, I'd, I'd certainly give him another week. I don't think you can bring him in for a week and drop him again. That's just playing with his head. Um, you've got to give him an extended run and see what he's made of. And if he doesn't make it in the yeah. end, um, well, you know, he, he had six tackles, I think. He had he, he worked hard. He cried. And is he better than Aaron Young? I don't know. Some weeks I think Aaron Young. Some weeks I think Andrew Moore. Um, but it's going to be one or the other. It can't be both of them. Rick, what do you reckon, mate? Uh, Andrew Moore. I liked his start. I thought he uh, he opened really well, um, and then he just petered out. Uh, I don't think the solution is to uh, to drop him. Uh, I think now the position that we're in, we need to give him an extended run and really, same as Brendan, and really see where they're going to be on our list in the future. Um, so, yeah, well, overall, I probably wasn't happy. Um, yeah, and I was hoping for more, and I'm sure all of the Andrew Moore fans were. But what I've found is quite noticeable with the players that have come from SANFL to AFL this year, there seems to be a two- or three-game um, transition for them to really pick up the speed of the game. There's no one coming from the SANFL and just going into the AFL system and uh, and able to really pick up the speed straight away. So um, that's a bit of a concern. Is, is the SANFL standard actually deteriorating that much that quickly? Um, you know, is that the issue or um, is it just our training? Um, but there, uh, there is something. It seems to me, anyway, there's something in that our players don't be aren't adjusting quick enough. Sam Calhoun was pretty good for his second game. He was, and, and, look, he, and he is the exception to the rule. He's probably the only person I thought. Even last week, Sammy was. I thought he was great for his first game back, considering his injury. And this week, this week he stepped it up another level again. So, yeah, and. Um, I, I, I would have had him as our best player just for his four-quarter effort. Um, I, know, I know Travis was great, but he was only great from my perspective from about five minutes from the second end of the second quarter. He lifted and exerted his influence for the rest of the game, whereas Sammy was a great player and tried his guts out for the whole four quarters. Yeah. Charman Impey was another young player that uh, did a wonderful job on the weekend as well. Absolutely. Yeah, he's really isn't he? He's really growing as an AFL player, and um, uh, as as a small shutdown defender, he has his deficiencies. But as a rebounding defender, and we've got plenty of those at the moment, don't we? We've got Broadbent mm. and Pittard and Cracker and Impey. Um, we should be running the ball better out of defence than what we are. Yeah, but we yeah. have we got quality halfback flankers. Well, I don't know. What do you think of Pitta? <laughs> I, I love Jasper. I love Jasper. No, but I love Jasper, and I love what he represents to our team. But I think Jasper at the moment is too easy to work out. You know, if you stop him from running to his left-hand side, he's cooked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've I've defended the fact that I don't think um, dropping Jasper is is going to actually benefit Jasper or the team. But I think it's almost to the point where I can actually see an argument for dropping Jasper because he needs to learn 
how to take the game on when he's corralled on his left-hand side and be efficient when he has to do something on his right-hand side. And sometimes he can, but there's plenty of times where he can't, and that's opening himself up um, to the criticism. And he, he needs to be able to develop his right-hand side of the game. You know, again, yep. Kent was on the couch tonight, and um, if you haven't seen it, I recommend you see it. I'm sure you will. Um, but one of the things he said is he cannot believe that professional players in this day and age cannot use both sides of their body and we do see it and, and Jasper's the shining example of that he's got no well, right side well, I don't we've got a few of them out there yeah. he does use his right foot more often but it's not even that he can't use his right foot because he can but it's almost like he doesn't know how to play when he has to deviate to this right-hand side of his body. He is just so used to playing on to the left that he doesn't, he can't make the right decision often when he has to deviate to his right-hand side and he's corralled that way. And, and I'm with Macca. That, I mean, he's not alone. And I know Jasper will make it as an, a great AFL player. He was well, in all-Australian form. be a left wing, actually. A left uh, a winger. A bit higher up the ground where he's... Turnovers don't bother us so much. Left hand side, so left left wing, so he's always coming from the left hand side of his body and kicking it around. I think he'd make a fantastic left wing. Yeah, I agree. Well, he just needs better coaching. He needs to be coached and instructed on how to how to position himself to receive the ball to maximise the chance of him doing some benefit with the ball. Uh, I think there's a bit of uh, a deficiency in the coaching there because he's he's not showing that improvement and he's probably going backwards. So um, there you go for all the people that say uh, I'm an unbiased uh, Jasper fan. There's there's some construction constructive criticism to Jasper's performance. That's it. Mm. Well, boys, hey, what uh, <laughs> what's our expectation for the rest of the year? What can we get out of this season? Well, we're going to win every game. <laughs> Well, right. Okay, so we got Sydney. We got Sydney in Sydney. Now that's going to be the Loss. tough game. We've got to, we we can beat them. Loss. We no, can. We, we can beat. Strangely them. enough, I'm actually pretty confident that we can beat them next week. No, we can't. We, we got can't. I'm sorry. We got Hawthorne in Melbourne later on. Probably not going to win no. that. Let's call it a win anyway. Okay. We've also got no. Fremantle in the last round. Now Fremantle in the last round are notorious for playing their waffle team. They've got to come over yeah. here and bring in half half their team at best. So we that's assuming they've got a top two spot locked up and I'm cheering for them for the rest of the year for that reason. <laughs> you guys we can do that. You you guys are on Fantasy Island boys, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> yeah we haven't been out of Chad Wingard's on the radio, and he, he admits that we haven't been able to string a four-quarter performance together all year, which he's correct. Um, and you guys as supporters are saying that we're going to knock off a four-quarter team in Sydney and we're, gonna, we're still a chance to make finals, which will mean we have to win at least eight, nine or ten out of our remaining ten games, and which means... It's impossible if we're not going to string four quarter performances. So last week, I was... where's your faith, Rick? Gee, I have, <laughs> I have, I have faith that we won't make the finals. I'm telling you that right now. And 
Yeah, that doesn't mean I'm I'm a bad supporter. It just means oh, that I'm a realist. Not. It just you, you, you look. At, I don't. Know, but you look at the four. Two games out of the eight. Our form shit house and our key position players are in shocking form, and we've got no structure. I mean, Alapade is surely injured. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not criticising him for being a poor player. He's a good player, but I, he must be injured. That's the only thing I can put it down to. And we don't have a forward spine. We we don't have a, a key full forward, and we don't have a key centre half forward. And uh, for that reason, we need. Paddy Ryder back um, and pretty major because we, um, you know, and I'm just, I'm also concerned by the calls that we need to play Mitch Harvey because I think we're throwing the lamb, we're throwing the lamb to the wolves there by playing Mitch Harvey. He, I don't think he's ready and I don't think he's been putting in the performances and to be picking someone on pure potential and hope of what he can become, I think is very unfair to him. And can you imagine picking Mitch Harvey uh, to play at the uh, the SCG against Sydney? I just, I just think we're, it's crazy. And we, we need to start planning now, and I'm sure they are, to try and work out a strategy to get a couple of forwards and target some existing players to come in for the next season because that's where we're... We're kidding ourselves if you if you guys think we're going to make finals. And I'm sorry I'm raining on your parade of hope, but um, yeah, I'll be happily proven wrong. And I hope they make the finals. And I'd rather us be playing finals than not finals. So I can tell you that right now. But from what they've served up, I just can't see it happening. No, well, John, it's, John uh, it's, it's highly unlikely. Sorry, but That's a game. I'm just I'm just saying it as it is. But I think we should all go because I've got to get up in five and a half hours and people have probably had enough of my pessimism for tonight. That's it. All right, boys. All right. Bear, thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks for having me. It's uh, It's been a privilege and a pleasure. Yes, you did well, mate. You did. Thank you. I'd love to That's come right. back. Yeah, we might let you back on. You've got <laughs> to have your questions ready for next time. That's it. The check, checks in the mail, okay? That's it. And Rick, uh, as we know, we're having this Thursday off as there's no game. So we're not going to do a podcast this Thursday. We'll be back next Monday with a bit of a mid-season review. And uh, we will be straight back into it from there. Come the pair. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Boys, though, both threatening with every passing minute. Back to full forward. Off hands. Brown needed to trap it. Couldn't quite. Hassled out of it. Port Adelaide getting numbers. Wingard. No way. Staggering. <laughs>